0: Well, I am absolutely delighted to say that joining me for the final Godcast interview of 2020 is somebody I know pretty well, but you may not know very well yourselves. It is the Right Reverend Philip North, and Philip North is the Bishop of Burnley. Uh, He looks like he's somewhere else today, but I think that's just a backdrop. Bishop Philip, welcome to the Godcast. How are you?
1: It's great to be with you, thank you for having me. It's, it's Holy Island in the background, but I can assure you I'm sitting safely in my house in Burnley.
0: Okay, okay. Well it's uh, really great to have you on uh, the Godcast and we've had some great guests and uh, it's a great way to finish the year. Now if anybody out there is expecting some deep theological kind of uh, questions going on here, this is a very gentle light-hearted discussion prior to Christmas so um uh, and it's for a very wide audience so if it's not for you then feel free to to switch off but bishop can i start with a, a question about um you as a young chap where, where did you actually grow up
1: north london okay In a, okay. in uh, enfield the borough of enfield i'm a london boy and an arsenal fan
0: okay and what was life life for you growing up was it was it happy time
1: Oh, it was up and down. Um, uh, it was like a dull bit of London. Um, there were things I loved, like sport and music. Uh, my mum and dad split up when I was about eight or nine, like many people, so that's a bit difficult to handle. Um, you know, I think I think growing up is not much fun for anyone, is it? You know, the fun begins when you grow up and become an adult, and then it has been fun since then. I think I've enjoyed my life for the most part since then.
0: OK, was it a church family you were part of?
1: It wasn't. No, I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, it's a a close family. I'm still very close to my sisters. I'm close to my parents. It was a very loving family. Um, uh, We, we were, weren't particularly taken to church except for just enough to get places at the church school. But uh, I found out one day that if you sang in the choir in the church, you got paid. And so I started going on to this choir for the cash. I, I, went, I went to church for the money. And uh, that's all it was. I liked the singing. I liked the money, um, particularly at weddings. Um, but then, you know, when I was about 15, 16, a curate came to that parish. She was just brilliant with young people. I'm mm. brilliant at communicating the faith and making sense of the Christian faith yeah, up until that and then I thought it was a kind of moral code it was just another way of managing my behavior mm. he began to he helped us to see faith in terms of relationship relationship with God and Jesus relationship with each other um uh, and you know in terms of our own preciousness such that Jesus gives his life so that we can live with him forever you know it was, it was really through him that I came to mature faith
0: were you um were you comfortable with that transition or were you kind of resistant as a teenager what to faith yeah to this kind of guy coming in and kind of changing you see, your 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 slant no slant. i
1: wasn't resistant at all you see you know it's it's um i think if you're brought up a christian you go through a period of rebellion and turning away from it all and you have to recover for it yourself if, if like me you took i took myself to church it was a kind of place of escape, almost. It was my own territory. So in some ways, the rebellion was becoming a Christian. And it was, it was not, I, I, you know, it was, it was a moment of beautiful revelation, really. Um, and I think for anybody coming to faith, the next question you ask is, how does God want me to live my life? You know, what's, what's his call on my life? Mm. And so, you know, as a, in my late teenage years, thinking, well, how does God want me to use the gifts he's given me? You know, that was, again, for me, that has been a, a liberating process, I think.
0: Mm. And at what age did you sense um, um, a calling? Uh, you know, when did you feel some sort of calling? To I remember.
1: Age? I remember. I was I was a very naughty boy at school. I was always in trouble, and I remember um, I was about seventeen. Singing in the choir, and the history teacher who's sitting next to me singing turned around and saying, "I can see you being a vicar, North," and everybody just laughed. It was as if it's the funniest joke ever. But that kind of planted the seed on my mind, really. Mm. Um, And then I really started exploring, you know, properly after that. So seventeen, eighteen. Then I I spent a year after I've done did a degree. I spent a year in a parish in Sunderland. Great big huge estates parish on the edge of Sunderland and I just saw a ministry like I'd never seen it before I saw these priests absolutely on the streets you know living and working with the people of that community utterly bedded into the place prayerful eucharistically focused but absolutely there for the people and meeting need in the most immediate way and playing a big part and it just blew me away to see you know church being and placing people in every community in the country who want nothing other than the goodwill of that community you know to to live life in that way it was struck me as you know very very exciting. were you were you a strong sense of call after the experience of this
0: were you fearful of that call at all or because some people are aren't they some people are kind of really like i really don't want this to happen how how do you what was your recollection of, of actually uh, adapting to that that sense of calling
1: I was fearful of it not happening. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't, by the time I'd spent that time in Sunderland, I couldn't conceive of living my life in any other way. I mean, there's always, you know, you always ask deep questions about worthiness. You know, am I worthy to be the person who stands at the altar and, and makes Jesus present in bread and wine for the people? There's always questions like that, but of course you realise in the end that nobody is worthy of that. If you thought you were worthy, you'd be fundamentally unqualified for the, for the calling. Um, it's Jesus who makes us worthy. Um, and I think the greatest fear was 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 actually that I misread God's will and 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 I wouldn't be a priest.
0: And and your your curacy, where was your curacy served, Bishop?
1: So I went back to the northeast, you know, I I, I, I you know, from London, I went to the northeast originally to experience something diff- different. And and uh, and you know just adored working on that estate in that year out. And I, I joined a group called the Company of Mission Priests, which is a, a, com- a dispersed community of priests who, lived to a rule um, uh, and focused their ministry on areas characterized by high levels of deprivation. So I served as a curate back in Sunderland on some other estates on the edge of Sunderland and then did an incumbency, likewise, in estates ministry in Hartlepool. So I spent the first 10 years of my ministry on those very similar, great, big, huge social housing estates on the edge of those northern towns. And what were some of those
0: big issues then? Was was drugs um, as prevalent? As they are now or was it other things
1: it was what was you know, the real issue when i first went there was unemployment you know i, th- I think you know we, we forget really those kind of massive unemployment times of the of the of the mid-90s but in you know, Westview estate it was 45 percent male unemployment on that estate and with that you know goes a whole host of issues um particularly around maleness and being a man in those areas where you're not the breadwinner Mm -hmm. um there's not there was not the drugs wasn't a big issue a big issue was bored young people getting drunk and roving the streets you know they were they were they were it was a dull place to grow up I think those estates um and and you know issues around around debt and just kind of grinding long-term poverty really you know I think the thing was about those estates is that the problems are very real and very in your face but the ministry was incredibly joyful you know, they were, they were, those estates are close-knit communities where people grow up knowing each other. Um, easy places to get on if you're a priest. Mm. An easy place is to develop a ministry to a community as opposed to a set of individuals. And an easy place also to bring about change. You're able to get projects going, we're able to grow the church, we're able to take over the secondary school and relaunch it as a church secondary school. Mm. So a number of things that could fly because of the nature of the place. Um, which made it thrilling ministry okay the problems that we were dealing with like you today of course are very very real and and heartrending in many ways but there's a real excitement to the kind of you know on the earth incarnational practical nature of the ministry there
0: yeah quite a quite a, a, a tough uh, first gig isn't it uh, but a, a fascinating place to kind of cut your teeth were, were you just so were you, were you all overjoyed with excitement about being there or or did it come as a surprise actually how stark it was on these dates?
1: Oh, no, it, it, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, you, you, every now and again, things would really get you down. You know, you'd be dealing with a pastoral situation or a family and it would, re, it would really, well, it still happens to be today. You know, you, it just breaks your heart with compassion. That happened now and again. But uh, you know, at the same time, this was joyful ministry. You know, the, the, the lay people in the parish were a delight and supportive. There's a kind of gratitude that you get for Christian ministry on those estates. sometimes you don't get in, in less deprived parishes where there's a, often a sense of entitlement and I had lovely lovely colleagues you know at one point in Hartlepool I was 29 my curate was 25 these two guys you know in their 20s just kind of going for it in terms of the ministry of, 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 of that place and you know trying out new ideas and doing new staff and trying to bring growth and life and trying to place the church you know, at the centre of the community. I mean, one of the great things about the Church of England is we deploy people onto estates. Remember what's going to a meeting of community leaders on that estate, 25 people around the table. At the end of the meeting, 24 of them went off home, back to their homes, off the estate in other places, in other parts of the town. Mm. I was the only one who lived there and shopped there and as well as working there. There's an embeddedness about Anglican ministry, which means we absorb places and understand them Mm. and so can minister to them, you know, the jesus who comes to share our life that's the role of the priest sharing the life of an estate or of a parish it's um
0: it's an extraordinary place i've i've, I've been there with uh, i think it was thy kingdom come i think it was meant to be on your group but uh, for reasons we won't go into you you didn't make it to that one but um and then you took us when i was the curate you took us on pilgrimage up to durham and uh, you took us to middlesbrough uh, to sunderland and to a lot of those places and we ended up in the cathedral at durham why why do you th- uh, why do you th- this is not on the question list by the way but why, why do you think some clergy you know don't want to go to the northeast because i you know I, I i went for um a bap interview up there and they said well you know we're always short of priests in the northeast but you know it, the way you've just sold it i would think think it would be a great attraction to many priests
1: there's a big issue isn't there about about too many clergy in the kind of you know London, Oxford, Cambridge, South East Corner. Now I did some calculations once and Cambridge has five times more clergy than Blackpool. We've got a major national deployment problem where we focus our resources in the areas of wealth and privilege. I think in some times there is a fear amongst clergy about working in urban areas and areas they don't know about well, as if kind of, you know, life is going to be impossibly hard and tough for their children. And I just have to say, you know you just need to try it out it's 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 just not like that mm-hmm. and you know I'd encourage any priest to spend a spell of their ministry on estates or in the north because if you're ordained young you've got 40 years ministry and you need the variety and work you know there was nothing those are the most rewarding years of my ministry in many ways was working on those northeast estates so what what dragged you down the back... most thrilling ministry we've got this privilege
0: yeah sorry what, what dragged you south then after your curacy? was the part
1: to stay up there or yeah i did you know i mean what dragged me south was you know, 10 years in i'd done 10 years on the estates and i was running out of ideas and i made mistakes one of the mistakes i made was i didn't spend enough attention forming the lay leadership and that was a big mistake and anybody working on estates focus on your lay leaders um i didn't do enough of that and so too much was coming for me and I could feel my energy levels running down and then I got an offer to do something completely different which is to work at a place called Walsingham where there's a, a place of pilgrimage the of Valley of Walsingham and it's an interesting place because it's a, the pilgrims to Walsingham are almost exclusively from deprived urban communities, the big conurbations. So in some ways it was work with similar people but in a very different setting where people were coming for an experience of renewal and refreshment in the faith, coming to seek for healing and forgiveness and a fresh start. Um, and you know, it, was, it was doing something, running a big charity with 80 employees and so on. It was a very different sort of work. And I kind of needed that change actually. Um, and, and you know, it was good to be developing other skills and it was good to be seeing the impact that pilgrimage has on people's lives. So it was sort of, you know, remember the Monty Python land and now for something completely different. I was ready for something completely different. And that's was what, what, what it was. And then um, after that, uh, I wanted to go back to the northeast, but up in the northeast, they were at that point laying off clergy. Um, and so so I got offered a job in London very in, in you know biggest states around the back of the station so it was a state's ministry it was urban ministry around the back of King's Cross and Euston and St Pancras stations but such a different context you know you cannot compare London in a city with northeast estates but that was a big team ministry and again you know very very exciting ministry
0: yeah and and I think um I think what people find endearing about you Bishop is you're you're not you're, you're not um you don't worry about calling out the church when you feel that's necessary and just talking on this theme of urban ministry you, you do feel that some dioceses are sat on huge donations don't you or, or wealth and that, that wealth should be distributed a bit more across the the country and particularly in the deprived areas is that right
1: we have we have you know really shocking disgraceful inequalities within, that we model within the Church of England. So if you look at historic assets, if you divide historic assets by population, the figure you get to in the Lincoln Diocese is 89 pounds per head. The figure you get to in the Liverpool Diocese is 85 pence per head. And that translates itself into how much those dioceses can invest in priests in stipendiary ministry. Um, and it seems to me that there's just a straightforward justice issue that we need to be pooling assets better and deploying clergy more fairly. Um, uh, and uh, and I you know I think it undermines our message to the nation when we want to speak to the nation about equality when we're not when we're not modelling that in our own lives mm. it's part of a problem I think we have as, a, as as Church of England in we can come across I would say we are quite a middle class church we don't hear working class voices very well our yeah. presence is weak in estates and working class areas yeah. and that that's a big problem in terms of our common life.
0: Do you think that arguments moved on at all? Do you think people are listening?
1: Yes, I do think people are listening. There's there's quite a lot of work going on on it at the moment. Um, And and, uh, you know, I think crisis is very difficult to live with, but it exaggerates problems in such a way that they can't be addressed. And the financial strain being put under the on the northern diocese by the coronavirus epidemic is forcing the National Church of England to sit up and take notice and ask some deep questions about resource allocation. And
0: um, just one of the things that, um, that I wanted to ask you about was the news report that went out recently that, I, you know, that I was involved in uh, um, and it's had a huge effect. Um, just, just what do you feel about poverty in the UK when you see stories like that, Bishop? You know, what does it, what does it do to you? I
1: think, we've, I think the worrying thing, uh, Alex, is that we've moved beyond poverty to destitution. When I was in, you know, I was working in some of the most deprived communities in the Northeast, but we never had to give people food. You know, people could afford to feed themselves and they could afford to feed their children. Um, what's happened in the last 10 years since the austerity measures brought in after the financial crash, since the, the, arguably the poor have been made to pay the price for the mistakes of the rich, um, what we've seen then is a move from poverty to destitution And Joseph Franchard Foundation reckoned now that 2 million people are living in destitution. That means they're one or two incidents away from a serious crisis. So your fridge goes, you can't feed your children. A child's shoes goes, you just can't make ends meet. And this is profoundly alarming. And it's happening almost in secret because many of those people don't have a voice. And I think what was so powerful about that news report is that it gave a voice to the voiceless we heard the voices the nation either doesn't hear or chooses to ignore and the reaction to it has been completely extraordinary because people simply didn't know that that was going on in their country the fifth largest economy in the nation and we can't feed our own children you know that's that's the shocking truth that we're dealing with um of course what happens next is you know it's very clear some of the causes of that destitution one is um an unfair benefit system and waits for benefits. What a massive one is injustice in the workplace with the, the abuse of the zero-hours contract with many people working hard, but still unable to make ends meet. A particular problem for us here in Burnley is, is um, rapacious private landlords um, uh, keeping property in a poor condition um, ch- and, and charging as much as they can in rent. Right. You know, we know the issues. What well, the question is, as we try and build our nation back, is there the will to address them? Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's my concern. You know, um, I think I think what you've said about the poor, you know, uh, being abandoned. I, I do think that's. I hate to say it, but I actually think that is the case. I think they get the they get the very very worst of a very bad deal in many cases. Um, generally, in the main, people have been really really positive to that. But some people uh, have said that, well, you know. Um, food banks and this that and the other they're just kind of plastering over the cracks and the issues and um, you know it doesn't actually do anything in the long term except fill a hole Um, and that and some people have just said you'll that we can never change it you know and I I wonder if you know somewhere like Burnley um, has got potential to really transform its community you know uh, and um, you know what the, the downside of that piece was. I think it showed Burnley in, in in quite a sorry state of affairs. But it's actually, and I'm sure you will endorse this, it's a wonderful place. It's it's got many brilliant things. Got beautiful countryside. Got great parks. The people are just out of this world. But um, there's a lot of people falling through the cracks. Do you think we can get to a place where we can solve
1: this? You know, it's 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 the loveliest place I've ever lived. Burnley. I don't. I think I think you know. It's it's. Uh... It, it's, those doom narratives don't really work. It's not the whole story by any means at all, but there are people who struggle massively. Um, I think, you know, there are limits to the food bank model because I think the, the risk is, you know, it is, having to accept free food is, it's, it's, it's an embarrassment for many people. You know, what I'd love to see is people able to take control of their own lives. And it's interesting with some food banks moving towards a community grocer model where people are able to choose what food they take and make a small donation for it and actually are able then to move into leadership in that kind of project. I think when this crisis is over, we need the food bank at the moment. When the crisis is over, I think we do need to be moving more into those models where people are empowered, you know, through the provision of food. People find empowerment in their own lives because that's surely where we want to be in the end. But there does need to be we need, we need community action on the ground from the voluntary sector with projects like yours and whatever it becomes, but also we do need to look at, you know, what are the bigger issues going upstream? You know, what, what is going wrong with, with in the workplace? So people are working, but can't make ends meet. Hmm. Why are so many employers handing profit on to shareholders rather than to the employees who generate those profits in the first place. What is this fundamental brokenness in our economic structures? Um, How can we have a benefit system which, uh, you know, doesn't punish people by starving their children, which doesn't make them wait five weeks for benefits so they can't make ends meet? Yeah. There must be, you know, I don't want people to be benefits dependent, but we do need a safety net. We do need a safety net that moves people back into taking power in their own lives. There are things we can do to fix this. You know, this this kind of poor would always be with you, passivity, will not do. There's no reason at all why the world's fifth largest economy should have anybody in poverty. We do not need people living in poverty in this country. And we certainly don't need the kind of destitution that, that you've highlighted. Thanks, Bishop. And um, just um,
0: just moving back th- to yourself, uh, so you became the Bishop of Burnley. Was was that was that difficult for you to accept that role, Bishop, or or were you kind of excited as excited about going uh, that as you were about going to
1: Sunderland? No, it, it kind of happened to me. Um, I, I, I still, you know, I miss. I watch you on the telly, and I see what other priests in Burnley are doing, and I feel a very profound sense of jealousy. Because I feel, you know, I think almost every bishop would say this, you feel a detachment from the heart of your calling. You know, my calling came when I was working on those estates in Sunderland, and it's to be in the midst of God's people. And I feel a stage removed from this, especially in pandemic when you spend most of your day peering into a screen. So there is a sense in which, you know, I do wonder every day, is this what God wanted me to do? But there is, you know, but being a bishop gives you an opportunity to bring about change. So it means you've got a voice that can be heard it means that you can you know you have an influence it within the wider church and it means that you can oversee ministry across a diocese um to ensure that uh you know church is being renewed to ensure that we're present in areas of deprivation to ensure that clergy are properly supported and cared yeah. for so there's a difference there are differences that you can make
0: and are you uh, content with how things are progressing in the diocese in in Lancashire, do you, do you think we're moving in the right direction?
1: I think that, you know, it's tough in pandemic, isn't it? Because lots of people, you know, I think we were moving in the right direction. We were seeing, you know, we've set a big challenge in this diocese. We said we're not going to cut clergy numbers. We're going to work on vacations. We're going to encourage people to be more generous so we can afford those clergy and try not to cut back the infrastructure. And that was showing signs of working until pandemic hit. And now I think every church is thinking, how are we going to build back? Yeah. Um, and, and that's really going to take the next two or three years yeah. is to, in, to encourage the local church in recovering its fringe in recovering its youth and its children's work and, and, and having said that there's been amazing changes as well you know here we are live you know recording this program who knows how many people will see it we've learned how to put christian content online we've learned how to put worship online we've learned as again you've demonstrated how to find a new fringe through our service so there are great opportunities but I think there will be a real need to kind of build back and and uh, and what I worry about there is is you know clergy well-being and exhaustion actually you know many of them have been working hammer and tong for nine months and and uh, and they need a break okay
0: and and just um and, and in the as your role as, bi- as, as a bishop uh you know probably more than local clergy you know I, I, of course I care about the wider world but what, what are the big issues that, that grind your bones at the moment uh, with uh, the wider world? You know, is it the issue in the Holy Land or uh, what's going on in Azerbaijan? Is there a particular thing, uh, is there a particular being in your bonnet at the moment about world issues?
1: You know, I've, I've always, I've led huge numbers of, I worked at and Walsingham was known as England's Nazareth. And so one year I took a pilgrimage from there of people to see Nazareth. You know, pilgrims to go to the real Nazareth in, in the Holy Land. And we met there some Palestinian Christians. And I, my eyes are really open to the plight of the people of Palestine and to the Palestinian church. Um, and, you know, that remains really deeply on my, my heart, you know, that, that, that sense of injustice that are people who have lost their land. Um, and, uh, you know, those Palestinian Christians, there's more Palestinian Christians in Sydney in australia than there are now in the middle east we're in danger of losing the indigenous church in palestine and that that's an issue that is really really on my heart um and and you know i pray for the peace of the holy land i pray for a stable two-state solution in the holy land every night
0: yeah i i went to to the holy land myself with my mate chris in january and you you won't remember saying this but you said because i was in two minds about going and you said you must go it will change your ministry forever and i think what you've just said there about the Palestinian Palestinian issue is is absolutely the same. We we met some Palestinian Christians. Our guide was a Palestinian Christian, and um, he, he's left his mark indelibly on my mind and on my heart. And and the situation out there is so challenging for people. And I've I was fortunate enough to speak to you know uh, Nadim Nasar about the issue in Syria, and I spoke to George Galloway about the issue across. The Middle East it's a really broken part of the world isn't it at the moment but do, do you think the Northern Ireland model is a good model to for these people to to work from uh
1: I, the, I mean the, the, the trouble the issue is at the moment that uh the the um settlements have gone so far that it's very hard to conceive of a viable feasible Palestinian state so you know that you can't have a, a viable Palestine on where the boundaries are now drawn yeah. No. So it will take a major kind of international effort. I, it, I feel pretty despairing about it, to be honest, really. And of course, so much of the economy of that part of the, of the world is around tourism and the pilgrimage. Yeah. And whenever the pilgrimage stops and the economy is struggles, there's um, uh, the politics becomes ever more complicated.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Bishop. Just uh, mindful of time. just want to bring us back to... Uh, the uk it's been a torrid year for many people and well you've certainly liked my afternoon with that christmas jumper and one of my favorite places as, as a backdrop there it's beautiful but um what have you made of this year it's been extraordinary hasn't it
1: oh it's been it's been i think for mo- you know anyone born since the war it's been the toughest year of our lives hasn't it really um uh you know the sort of, you know the, the what it's done to relationships um what it's highlighted in our country um what the implications in terms of the national debt that we're racking up you know it's really hard and of course you know here we are talking just before christmas so you know my phone's going off the whole time from my sisters and my mum trying to work out what we're going to do over christmas with ever changing guidance and advice It's, it's so hard for people but i think we've got to we must think now what sort of nation do we want to be after this you know we've got to think how do we build back i quite like the joe biden phrase build back better what does that mean to build back better what is that? You know, what have we seen in our nation? Because we've seen the very wet best and the very worst of human nature, haven't we? We've seen on the one hand, tr- you know, communities coming together and tremendous patterns of generosity and uh, uh, and mutual support and great patterns of volunteering and huge imagination and agility in organisations and companies and churches. But on the other hand, you know, the other bad side of it was shown by panic shopping. You know, it's attempt it's sort of shutting the door, looking after me first. We've seen. Um, inequalities blown out of all proportion we've seen children going to bed hungry we've seen um, you know tensions in relationships because everything is magnified
0: Mm. we've seen the
1: best and the worst and i think that gives us a great chance to say you know what 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 sort of country are we going to be next
0: you say build build back better that that can certainly apply to the church as well so well um quite a lot of people who who watch the godcast aren't would clearly say they're not christians they don't go to church but what would your kind of not Christmas message i know that there'll be something on youtube and the diocese but what would your message be to people who kind of might watch this or listen to it on the podcast and think you know i've thought about church quite like to go and they just haven't made that step for, for many people it's a bit of a taboo thing isn't it to put a foot back in a church what, what would you say to encourage them as we come towards christmas time
1: bishop i'd say this christmas look into the crib you know it's, it's going to be hard to find a happy christmas um, because so much is restricted so look into the crib instead and what will you see there? you'll see a human face you'll see the face of a child a face just like your own because what that tells us is that it's your life that God has come to share in Jesus not someone else's life your life you know it's it, it, he's come to be born at like you as you in your shape and style and image he's come to share in your life um, this is about you it's not some mythical thing Very tall story. This is about you today. God is present with you and in your life. And because God is present with you and in your life, you can be present in God's life. Look into the crib, look at the child and think, who is this baby? The baby who's come to bring love and hope and peace and joy into your life.
0: And if that's done it for them and they come to midnight mass for the Eucharist, what will they find there, Bishop?
1: They'll find, I pray they would find, a joyful, warmer-hearted gathering of sinful people who get stuff wrong and get stuff right, um, but who will be home for them. And I hope that they'll hear words of scripture that inspire them, and I hope they'll feed on bread and wine that sustains them. And it may all be a bit weird at first, it probably will be, but you know, stick with it, see what God is doing there, because that's your home. You know, come home at Christmas. Mm-hmm. I, I see the, the child who welcomes you there
0: I would I really echo that I, I, it took me an age to get my foot in the church and I did get it all wrong I stood up in all the wrong places and sat down when I should be stood up and didn't know the hymns but if you stick with it it's a beautiful journey and I would certainly endorse Bishop Philip's um, encouragement there and um, just to kind of bring this to a close you, you, you'll be reeling off a recent defeat by the Clarets to the, the um, the minnows that are your team, Arsenal. Do, do you see? Do you see relegation threatening this year?
1: No, we'll pull it around we'll,
0: we'll pull it around We'll be back.
1: <laughs> you better ask them. We got then. a point on Southampton <laughs> yesterday. We'll be we're on the way up. We've 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 hit we've hit rock bottom. I think the only way is up. Don't <laughs> you we'll, worry? And you know, I'm always happy. You know, I I I, I don't like Arsenal losing, but if we're going to lose to anyone. Then Burnley's the side to lose to because this town is deeply proud of having a Premier League club. It's the only Premier League team in Lancashire, and long may that remain.
0: Absolutely, here, here, Bishop, here, here. And will you, will you be, will you be in the north on Christmas Day, or will you be in the south? I uh, certainly will. Yeah,
1: yes, yes. I yeah. shall be in Burnley here on Christmas Day. I'll well, be at St Cuthbert's, Burnley. So come and join us. <laughs> Or St Matthew's, <laughs> or St Matthew's, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you,
0: Bishop, for your time. What uh, would you like to just give the listeners a a, a a final message before we sign off?
1: I would indeed. Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah. In some ways, my final message was was that come and see the baby message. But uh, but you know, it's it's. Um, I do hope that what you've seen in this podcast and from father alex's ministry is what christians do i think we focus an awful lot on what christians believe and the rationality or otherwise of that belief being a christian is about belonging and it's about serving you know but perhaps above all else that's where it begins and you know why does alex serve the needs of people in burnley because he has a savior who comes to us as a human being and shows that all human life is precious that's what we believe every human life is precious and beautiful and beloved and that's why we serve so come and join in
0: thank you bishop thank you so much thank you to everybody who's joined the godcast this year we'll be back in the new year with uh burnley legend roger eli and uh, and go to the to watch uh, loads of interviews uh, but for now bishop Philip, thank you so much and a happy christmas thank you great to be with you all god bless